Let's pray together. We give thanks, O oh God, for the gift of music, for the opportunity to praise, for the possibility of gathering together and realizing that we are not alone, for the power of your grace, for the gift of your love, for the potential that now lies with each of us to be inspired in these moments and to leave this place. New people, new creations, transformed and ready to be your instruments of peace in the world. Allow us open spirits now to hear your word and movement within us. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord, we pray. Amen. Here again, the beginning portion of this 12th chapter of Romans, the prelude of what Randall read just a moment ago, and the beginning of what many scholars call the mini Sermon on the Mount, Paul's effort to condense Jesus' teachings into this one chapter and proclaim in ways the church in Rome and the churches across the world can hear and understand. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, this too is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. There are times when I'm truly honored to be trusted with information that is heartbreaking. When people come to me or others on staff acknowledging the struggle of their lives and in some cases the admission that to get up in the morning is an effort, that some days are so difficult, they're not sure it's worth going on. There are some among us who are struggling in jobs or living situations where they are made to feel completely unworthy, unneeded, unwanted. For those of us who have felt that way or who are in that moment, the words that we heard last week from this passage in the 12th chapter of Romans offers a healing balm, a salve for the woundedness that we sometimes feel. The words that emerged out of last week's lesson you are saved by grace. Listen to the power of that phrase. 
you are worthy that Jesus died for you. You are saved by grace. You can get up in the morning knowing that somehow something in you is so worthwhile that Jesus died for you. You were saved by grace. Now, some of us need to be reminded of this from time to time. But apparently, that was not the situation at the church in Rome. Apparently, the opposite was true. Sometimes, some of us need to be reminded that we're not as good as we think we are. Now, I know some of you find it hard to believe, but there are others of us in this place who are walking with their nose a little too high in the air. And it's to those people Paul seems to be addressing the words that Randall read just a moment ago. Paul says, after acknowledging, I am saved by grace, and if God can save me, God can save anybody, Paul says, by the grace given to me, don't think more highly about yourselves than you ought to. It's in your bulletin at the top on the left-hand side. The church at Rome was filled with, get this, probably type A personalities. It was the capital of the empire. People were coming from all over the place, as we said last week. They wanted good jobs. They wanted status. They also probably were coming, let's face it, for good restaurants, good bars, great social life, exciting weekends, and they came thinking, I'm going to make an impact on the Roman Empire because I am so important. And if they hadn't figured it out already, Paul reminds them, you're not as good as you think you are. So this word of grace, you are saved by grace, is also important for those of us who fall into that category. There's something about you that is less than you think, and you need to be reminded that in your insufficiency that might be being covered up by the fact that you're walking around with your nose in the air, humility is a beautiful thing. It's a spiritual gift. And the recognition that grace is for you too, not just the person struggling. So to this congregation in Rome, there is this two-sided gift, both one of, of a humbling word and a gift of redemptive word. All of us are saved by grace, not just saved from bad, but saved for good and blessing and redemption. So this was the thrust of last week, the beginning, the one of the three points. Uh, the second was that we're saved by grace and we're renewed through resurrection. That early group of disciples fell into the first categories. They were sure they were not up to what God needed of them. Over and over again, the gospel writers are very clear that group of disciples 
failed miserably. A bunch of misfits, just clueless and struggling, and even after the resurrection, not sure what to do or how to respond. Gradually, though, the scriptures are clear. They begin to realize the insufficiencies in their fellowship were renewed through the resurrection. There was an empty tomb in a garden in Jerusalem that changed everything about them and for them and for their future. And they were renewed through resurrection. And finally, we said they were transformed for service. We were reminded that important Hebrew word, the word for worship in Hebrew is the same word for service. And when we use that word, that phrase, that idea that's been passed down, we say, I'm going to go to a worship service this morning. We probably are maintaining that that same idea that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. When we worship, we are called to serve. And when we're serving, it is an act of worship. We are transformed for service. Backing up further, the foundation for this verse now, Paul says, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for this is your spiritual worship. Let's take the word sacrifice first. Sacrifice for us is a little bit unusual. We get the concept. We know it's sort of this this old-timey thing, and it doesn't really relate to our real-life situation because we're a little more sophisticated than those folks. We have more information about how the world and even the universe operates. And think about where this idea came out of. If you can move back two, three, four thousand years, five, six thousand years, people didn't understand weather patterns. What they knew was it hadn't rained for a long time. We call it a drought. From drought comes famine. From famine comes death. People were terrified that somehow the gods or God had gotten upset with the tribe or the people. This was punishment being divvied out by an angry God who somehow needed to be made happy again. So the concept of sacrifice begins to filter in, not just through the Hebrew people, but from surrounding peoples all across the world. There was this idea, if we can just give the right sacrifice and give it with the right accoutrements and the the right attitude, then maybe maybe it'll rain again or things will work out or I'll stop being sick or my children will be healthy or whatever it is that people are afraid of will somehow be fixed. If only we can just get the sacrifice right. And this was passed down generation to generation, even in some societies, including the Hebrews, the horror of child sacrifice, the thought of a perfect sacrifice. Maybe if I give my firstborn child, even Abraham fell into this trap. And in Genesis, 
It's an angel who comes and says, this is not what God requires. This is not the way we do things. And what's been called the binding of Isaac, that horrific story of Isaac almost being sacrificed, now is, is moved into a new concept. The idea as we gradually move through the Old Testament now to the New Testament, where Jesus, we see, becomes what in our New Testament eyes is the perfect sacrifice. That is, taking away all need forever for this kind of mentality. It's not about fearing God. It is about being grateful to God. For God is not one that demands a sacrifice. God hopes for lives lived out in goodness and justice and kindness and mercy. So the 12th chapter of Romans then moves us from this idea of sacrificing out of fear to providing an offering out of gratitude. Jesus has died for us. We are saved by grace, renewed through resurrection, transformed for service, and now our sacrifice can be one that is living. We give ourselves now as an offering into the service of God. This is a remarkable thing. And it was something that the church was just beginning to figure out when these words were written. This idea of living sacrifice. It was a new concept because we know the way Paul's own theology, his own understanding of the way God was working in and through the church itself was developing. We know when we read 1 Thessalonians, if you've studied Paul's letters before, 1 Thessalonians, the church is told that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night and it's going to be very soon. So the church, hearing this in Thessalonica, the letter from Paul to those folks in Thessalonica from 1 Thessalonians, they read that and they think, well, why work? Let's pray. Let's get together and we're going to sell everything and we're going to go up on a mountaintop and we're going to worship and wait for Jesus to return. Businesses began to go under. Houses started falling into disrepair. People started getting hungry. Farms went untended. Word gets back to Paul. And so guess what he did? He wrote 2 Thessalonians, which says, well, Jesus isn't going to be coming back that soon. You probably should get back to work. This was early, early 40s, probably, A.D. Paul is writing Romans, probably 56 to 58 A.D. Guess what's happened? Paul's own theology has evolved. The church has now realized we have got to prepare for the next generation of believers. Jesus is not going to come back tomorrow or next week or next month. We've got to train, cultivate, and nurture the next generation to carry on the gospel message throughout the world. Paul had begun to understand this. And so when we get to Romans... It's a plea for people 
to see the power bestowed upon them to train the next generation of believers and doers in Jesus. Disciples are necessary to sustain the church for tomorrow. The church is always only one generation from extinction. And the church at Rome and all the other churches around the Mediterranean world began to realize this now in 56 to 58 AD, the key leaders that had known Jesus, known the the disciples, guess what was happening to them? They were starting to die. New leaders were needed to step in and replace and preach and proclaim to be the generous givers and the, and the workers and the whole list that, that Randall read, to be living sacrifices. It's a remarkable shift that starts to take place where the church starts recognizing the importance of sustainability and movement out into the broader world. All these people have come to this church in Rome excited because they were struggling with loneliness. They wanted to fill that void in their hearts and their minds. They were beginning to have a sense of purpose and meaning, and they were needing to know, what do I do now as a disciple of Jesus? This is an amazing moment in the history of the broader church, and it's the same kind of moment churches like ours face every single day. The calling to live out our spiritual worship. It's not just about gathering on a Sunday morning. It's about being living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, moving out from this place into the world, living lives for Jesus, telling our stories about what God has done in our hearts and minds. It's about now moving into this understanding. We mentioned last week, Vision 2020, for the next two, three, four years, our calling to become sustainable people in the sense of looking in our community and making new friends and inviting people to be a part of a fellowship like this one where, frankly, people literally within a stone's throw of our congregation would give anything to feel like they could come to a place and be accepted for who they are, welcomed into community, where they could have a sense of belonging, of loving and being loved, of knowing and being known. The church at Rome was addressing the same kind of issue. People coming from all over the place because Rome was cool. And people were excited for a while and then found out they were lonely and isolated and they needed something more. It was true then and it's true now. To make new friends and to be better stewards of what we have. This calling of stewardship for us is vital in these moments. It is about reaching out and welcoming people to be a part of this fellowship. It's also being stewards of what we've got. It's a fancy word, stewardship. It simply means, first of all, recognizing the gifts that God has given us. Secondly, recognizing the resources available to us to utilize, to do ministry more effective and more broadly to make more friends, to invite more people, to have more interaction with our community and families that surround us. Being good stewards also in that early church in Rome was figuring out how do we balance 
taking these resources and utilizing them in the most effective, most efficient ways. Some of you are aware that we are truly living in a gift provided to us from past generations. This physical plant, this building, this property, this location is an amazing gift from God and from previous generations. It was built in 1951. And we had a recent evaluation on our energy efficiency. Now, we don't know exactly the kind of air conditioning or heating system they had in the church in Rome. Chances for the day, it was pretty sophisticated. The Romans were really cool with utilizing wind patterns and how the sun moved across the sky and utilizing shade and air movement. We have systems that were put into this church in 1951, and guess what? Well, we got evaluated a few weeks back. We had the Georgia Interfaith Power and Light come, along with Jill Rose and Rhodes and, and her organization, come in and evaluate us on a 100-point scale. 100 is excellent. 50 is okay. Guess what our energy efficiency rating was? 13. Now, where I come from, you get sent home for grades like that. We are wasting energy. We are polluting the air. We are being horrible stewards of God's great gift of this building and the resources that we've been given. It's an amazing opportunity that requires creativity and great seriousness. Thankfully, we've got some talented people who are helping us try to pull together the right resources and do the right things and make the right decisions, and we want to be very wise in the way we do it. But our calling to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, our spiritual worship demands that we do a better job of caring for the resources given to us by previous generations and gifted to us by God. Energy efficiency is one of the many things seeking, we are seeking to address in a creative, redemptive way. We need your help. We also need your input, your understanding, and your support. We want to do better by doing good, by being energy efficient, with lots and lots of work needed. We also are exploring a very exciting possibility. One of the first things I noticed when I drove up, I told Ronnie Jowers when he was giving me a tour of things, I noticed two things about the physical space of this beautiful area. The first was, I hate to say it, the parking lot. I was concerned about busting a tire or twisting my ankle. The second thing I noticed was all the flat rooftops. And I had been doing some work at my previous church in Charlotte on solar power panels on charitable organizations' flat rooftops and the potential of that. We are exploring and have had now several meetings regarding the potential of utilizing God's gift of sunshine in this part of the world that gets a lot of sunshine. And taking that gift and trying to become more energy efficient and effective in the way that we can save money by being wise, by being good stewards 
of this place and God's world. Because let's face it, churches of all places ought to take seriously our responsibility in trying to be greener and fresher and better at caring for how we use energy and caring for God's world and calling upon all of us to be more understanding in the recognition that we can and should do better about water usage, power usage, garbage usage. On Wednesday nights, some of you are already aware we've made a tremendous impact already in composting virtually all of our food waste. Up uh, two months ago, we were generating all kinds of incredible food waste on Wednesday nights. And thanks to a number of people who've come together, Stephen, Harriet, uh, Matt, lots of others who've come together and said, we can do better. And we started uh, partnering with an organization called Compost Now. And it's amazing. We can take about 80% of what we utilize or what we would have been wasting on Wednesday nights. And now that's all being composted and returned to us a month later in rich black dirt that we can donate to our farmer's market. So it's a positive feedback loop that is very exciting in one of the many ways we can be better stewards of who we're called to be and how we're called to live as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God in spiritual worship and the way we do our lives and give of ourselves. And then we also are so fortunate because we have this location that is also an incredible gift from God and from our previous generations. Without marketing ourselves or doing anything, really, we get requests all the time to utilize our parking lot, our fellowship hall, places in our buildings. We've been so fortunate to have a good bit of income generated by people using our building. We also are able to give our space and allow our space to be used for charitable causes in many ways. But we've recognized part of the way we can pay, in fact, a large amount of the way we can pay for becoming more energy efficient, potentially using solar power, which is also very expensive to get into. We can help ourselves by allowing other folks to use parts of our building that currently aren't being used and allow that rental income to generate for us pools of of income, of money, that we can use to help pay for these very expensive necessities of being better stewards. We have been handed an incredible opportunity, a remarkable gift. And like the church in Rome and across the Mediterranean world, beginning in that next generation of figuring out how do we become more sustainable? How do we enhance our sustainability by training the next generation of leaders, by figuring out what it is God needs us to do now in our world today? This is what is confronting us in this exciting but also a little bit scary time where we need to take extremely seriously our role in how we can be the best stewards possible of all the gifts that God is giving to us. Like the church at Rome, we continue to need wisdom. We don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We also don't want to wallow in the feeling that we can't do anything and we're insufficient. We've been given an incredible gift. We have been saved 
by grace, renewed through resurrection, transformed for service. We are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God for spiritual worship today, tomorrow, and into the future. I hope you'll join all of us together in this great opportunity. We'll speak one more time next week from Romans 12. We talked last week about caring for our people, this week enhancing our sustainability. Next week, a little more specific about engaging our community and the many ways God can and is using us for making a difference in Decatur and beyond. Sustainability also necessitates being reminded over and over again what God has done for us in Jesus. In the case of Paul, it was a joyous celebration because Paul knew how far he had come and how low he had fallen, and he was so thankful to be able to share in the Lord's Supper. It was a celebration of a grand sense of gladness. For Peter, sharing the Lord's Supper in that tradition was a little bit more somber because Peter knew also how far he had fallen and felt so guilty. For Peter, it was possible that the Lord's Supper was a time to confess and ask forgiveness. For Paul, it was a time of giving thanks and rejoicing. As a result, over the centuries, the church has done both. We give thanks as we accept what God has given us in Jesus, and we also humbly confess that we've fallen short and hope this week and this month to do better. You're invited in just a moment to come forward and participate both in the celebration and in the confession in the renewal of our spirits through the Lord's Supper. Table open to all. Thanks be to God. Amen.